I can tell you why we're going to say Lord willing. Hey, we're going to we're going to do a Latin lesson today. You're going to learn a Latin phrase here. Are you guys ready? Deo volente. It's up at the top of the screen. Are you guys ready to say that? Deo volente. And you say, what did I just say? Well, it's actually in our text today. As God wills. Lord willing, right? Deo volente. Now that was actually a phrase that it's Latin, but the Puritans used it in their communication, in their letters. They would usually put that at the end of a letter almost every time. You'll see a DV. And the DV is Deo Valente, as God wills. So as we make a communication, and especially if it's saying something that we're going to do later, see you later, God willing, right? But they would put that there because they were concerned about the thoughts, they were concerned about their actions, they were concerned about their uh, very words, deeds, their submission to the Lord's will. That's really what they're focused on, absolutely. God willing. That's the focus. Their whole being was about that. And so it should be as a, all Christians, right? That's really what it's about. God willing. Now, it shouldn't be just an automatic saying that we tack on at the end of a phrase or something, hey, I'll see you tomorrow, God willing, just to tack it on some kind of a superstitious matter because then God will bless it and that will happen because we say that. Uh, God willing. But it, it should be a heartfelt attitude that we have constantly. And it's, it's learning to live on a day-to-day-to-day-to-day basis in submission to the Lord. Walking in the Lord. How do we, how do we learn to live consciously in submission to uh, the Lord's will? Well, we consider James today here, and he will help us a little bit more on that, explaining God's will. Verses 13 through 17 is where we're going to be. Uh, it's about living by the very will of God. And really, that is the very characteristic of a Christian. A Christian, by his nature, by his very nature, uh, is one who wants to follow God's will. Show me a Christian who doesn't want God's will, doesn't want it ever, and I'll show you one who is lying. He's not a Christian. It's not his nature, right? Just a few uh, passages that deal with God's will. In Psalm 143, uh, verse 10, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Teach me to do your will. Um, in John seven seventeen, if any man will do his will, he shall know the teaching, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. First Peter four two, the one who has taken on Christ no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. First John two seventeen, and the world passes away in the lust of it, but he that is doing the will of God is abiding forever. So doing the will of God, that's a really another test of what genuine faith is. And have you seen that all the way through James? If you're a genuine Christian, you will be this and you will do this it's another way I think to examine our hearts Uh, it should be your strong desire to do the will of God I think everybody here should have that as a strong desire right do you find yourself uh, saying with ease whenever you say the disciples prayer our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven that's all we want isn't it constantly Doing the will of God. Um, does it come easy? Well, sometimes it, it doesn't. Sometimes we struggle. We don't even know sometimes. But James here does his whole letter in a very pragmatic way, a way that's real practical. And that's what he's going to do here as uh, I think we're going to enjoy gaining some insights that James again enlightens us on of how we can better fulfill the will of God. So as we read the text we're going to see how James just couches his words in, in every practical term that he can. And what he does, he uses illustrations. Have you noticed the illustrations that he uses all throughout? 
and again, it's that way today as uh, he will use uh, a businessman, uh, he will use a vapor, those kind of things that uh, we're very familiar with. So anyway, why don't we, uh, why don't we stand? Let's, uh, let's do the Word of God. James 4.13 Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Father, thank you for your word again. Thank you for your help in us understanding this and then your help in applying it. Uh, Help us open our ears, our hearts to again what you have for the desire for us. Get the preacher out of the way and let your voice speak here today through your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. First one is uh, where it says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Presuming upon the future is absolutely foolish. Bible speaks a lot about presumption. Presuming upon God. Just thinking things ought to be that way or they're going to be that way. Uh, in Proverbs 27.1 it says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. I think that James might have borrowed that a little bit with the help of the Holy Spirit to put that there. It sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Very close. Remember, he uh, is like a second proverb writer. A lot of wisdom in here. Just daily, ongoing living. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.13 is dealing with the Israelites and they were disregarding the word of the Lord. Moses said, you acted presumptuously. They presumed upon the Lord. Nehemiah says they acted presumptuously or arrogantly. Nehemiah 9.16 At the root of presumption really is pride. And we keep coming back to that. You know, we've been talking about humility. James has really been hitting that issue. And James has also been saying the sin of pride. And so really the context is really not moved. It's not like he's jumping from one little thing to another. Oh, by the way, this. And then, oh, by the way, oh, this. I forgot this. He's not tacking on these little things. that They're all in context. But it doesn't seem that way sometimes. Especially even when you get to the very last verse today here in verse 17. You know, it's like, wow, you know, he's talking about something that he's saying, you know, sin. You know, if you know it to be right, you don't do it at sin, that kind of thing. And and we'll get to that. But um, what he's doing is amplifying the the problem with pride. And and all mankind has pride and it reaches cataclysmic proportions. I mean, it it reaches to a height that is uh, just blows things away. And he's warning the sin of presuming upon a sovereign God, one who's controlling everything. You know, I think people would like to say, I'm my own person. I make my own plans. I make my own decisions. I'm the one who decides with no conscious thought about God being in on that. Yeah, that's how close He is to our lives. That He is in on everything. Even the little things we do. And you can think about every breath that you have been given, and it's all a gift to God. Well, that's thinking high of God, isn't it? When you think about it, because it, you know your next breath, you don't really think about it. Oh, thank you, God. And another breath, thank you, God. You know, you know. But at the same time, it is kind of interesting to think back and just some of the basic things that we just take so much for granted. God just gave us that. He's just giving and giving and giving and giving all the time, isn't he? He's a giving God. And, but we take things for granted and sometimes we stand in the way of what God desires for us and we do our own desires and really what His desire is best all the time. Only we could have seen that, right? So he starts off with this. 
I like this. Come now. Listen. Listen up. You know, that's the idea. I want you to really listen. Get this. See here. You got the idea? I have something to say which you need to hear. That's what James is saying. Come now. Listen. You who say. I want you to listen to this. Okay? So he gives this illustration. Today, tomorrow, you know, I'm the businessman. He's going to go to a city. He's going to spend so much time there a year and he's going to do business and he's going to make profit. He's going to do all these things. He's going to do these things because he is a self-made man. (laughs) Now, you can take the scene back to, uh, you know, who James is talking about and this really would make sense to them. You have a Palestinian businessman, a Jewish businessman. Perhaps he's a Christian, perhaps not. He really has a great business, a bold business going on. He has all sorts of plans. He has no thought of God in mind here. Uh, He has this agenda. And he's going to follow this agenda because it works. And he's going to be there till next year. He's going to do this. And he's going to travel, you know. And he's he's going to make money. He gets out his day timer. Do, do guys do that anymore? Do they have day timers? I think everything is on... Uh, yeah, there we go. On the device. <laughs> so he makes a list. He's going to make a list of all of his business, all of these contacts that he's going to make. He's on the rise. He's a young businessman. And, you know, he's going to show, you know, who he is and fancy. And he has this business plan. He's going to make a huge profit. He's going to make an income. The only thing is... He doesn't know what his health is going to be like next week. He doesn't even know what the economy is going to do. Is it going to cooperate with his plans? One thing is left out of this plan. It's the will of God. He doesn't mention God at all. He's not seeking that. And it's almost like he's speaking out his plans, and it's like God does not exist. And in this text, that's exactly the idea that James is, is stressing. Many of the Jews of the ancient world, they were traders. They were businessmen, if I can say it. They were quite the businessmen. As uh, you can look today, not to try to stereotype, but Jews are pretty good with their money, if if you've noticed. And um, they're kind of famous for that. But uh, they definitely were then. As towns sprung up in the ancient world, uh, they would flourish. They would be at crossroads. They'd be at major points in, in the world. They'd be trade route towns, and they'd be intersecting uh, and going into other countries. And that's the way that they uh, did business. Uh, the focal point of business would go to a place that would be um, just flourishing. Uh, so that's a typical merchant here. This is a typical businessman, a typical Jewish merchant, if we will. Uh, James has an audience that's Jewish, right? So he notes uh, this all the way through. This is a whole plan of operation. Look, there's about five things you can look at what he's doing. He chooses his own time. This person chooses his own time. Now, this is hypothetical, but it's something that happens. And he says today or tomorrow. Basically, he's, he's just choosing his own time, the time that they affirm. That's what they do. Second, they choose their own location, where it's going to be. They choose their own location. We'll go to such and such a city. Uh, thirdly, it's on their own timeline. Uh, we'll do a year there. And literally, in the Greek, it means to do a year there. I'm going to do a year there. And they do it in their own operation. The word is emporio samata. Emporio is uh, from the root, actually, the word that we would think of emporium. Emporium, you think of emporium, and what's, what's an emporium? It's a place of business. Uh, so to conduct business, that's their operation. That's what they're going there for. When we do something as Christian, yeah, we might be involved in a business. That can be a good thing. We're, we're not knocking this, and we'll cover that in a moment about, that, about planning and such. But he's just you know, hitting the general uh, plan and purpose here just for a moment. But you know, when we set up something, we want to make sure that, hey, um, I want God in this, right? Especially something that, that's as important as this. Um, their own objective is this money. That's really what it's about. Do we do things to make money? Well, of course, we have to have money to pay for all those things that we have to have and don't necessarily have to have. We have to pay for that. We have to make the money. And yes, we are 
That's a good thing. God gives us jobs. But if we're working and our real reason to work is for money, we've got it all wrong. God has given all sorts of opportunities to do here, to do different things. And so we don't do things. Our objective is not just to make money. That is a reality that, yes, we do need that. (laughs) This guy says this, and it was a song that was really popular, I think, in in the 60s, maybe, as Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. Was it 60s, 50s? Well, we'll go back any further than that. That's where the, what? Huh? your time. How would we know? Still today. He had to be before my time, somewhere along. I think Paul Anka wrote that. Paul Anka did that. Okay. Paul Anka, thanks. Okay, see, there we go. Drawing back from our times. <laughs> Is he still alive? I have to call him later. Okay, let's see. If that be the case, if bringing up that song, you already know the answer. You know what the number one song is at funerals? I kid you not. This is what I heard from Alistair Begg, and everything that Alistair Begg says, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> Alistair Begg's good. That's what he said. (laughs) He's hip. And I have, I think there was a funeral that I went to one time. I only heard it once. But anyway, that's that's what they say. It's it's the number one song at funerals. Uh, It's it's the problem with mankind, though. It really probably is true. They did it their own way. People want to do their own way instead of God's way. I did this. Luke 12, verse 16 through 21. This is a story that Jesus spoke of. Parable. But it's something that happens all the time. Luke 12, 16, He told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. Did very good. Success. And He began reasoning to Himself. That might be a problem right there. <laughs> saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? We're doing so good. And he said, this is what I will do. This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So, we get this person saying, I've got tomorrow. I've got this under control. Here's what I will do. Nothing about God whatsoever. No glory to God. No thanking God. Proverbs 27.1, we kind of mentioned that earlier. And um, there again, it's talking about... uh, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. So if if the guy who built the barns wants to build the barns, extra barns, if he would have known Proverbs, he would have said, you don't ever say that. Is it wrong to plan? We have to now get that in there because you can say, well, if that be the case, then I don't have to make any kind of plans whatsoever. God will take care of me and, and He's going to do everything. I'll just do whatever He wants to do. But you know what? I'm not going to make any plans. Is it saying that? Well, the problem here was not that the businessman was making plans for the future. That's not what is being said here at all. Nor was it a problem that they were capitalists. It's a good thing to, you know, to do business and a capitalism can be a good thing. You know, it keeps things going. It's all part of God's plan. Uh, making a profit. That's nothing wrong in that. 
planning is commended in Scripture. So let's let's look at Scripture and see what it says about planning. You say, well, what's going on here then? Let's go to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, 28. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he's enough to complete it? Ooh, I'm a little short here. I'm not so sure I can take this on. Or he can say, okay, I've got enough here. I've got these expenses coming up. Yeah, we can do this. Right? Okay, calculating Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Have you ever seen where there have been buildings go up? And there's nobody in them. And they sit for years. Interesting, isn't it? Or where they, they spend literally hundreds of thousands of dollars scooping off land, using all those machines, and it lasts for months. Now they got it ready for the building to go there, and they don't have enough money to get the building to go up. So what happened? Somebody didn't plan it out, did they? They weren't thinking ahead. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he's strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Can we take this 20,000 on with these 10,000? Or else, while the others are still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. You know, when one comes to the Lord, they count the cost. Right? And that's what Jesus is speaking there. You know, you see what this is going to be when you become a Christian. Yeah, there's going to be some things that come along that are rather trying. That's part of the part of the life. So is it wrong to plan? Well, according to Jesus, no. Romans fifteen, what does Paul say about it? Romans fifteen. It seems like James is saying we don't plan. Jesus says, No, 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 we might we've got to make plans, and then Paul's gonna come along and he says the same thing. Twenty two, Romans. 15.22 For this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you. This is what happens in, you know, when, you're, when you think you're doing God's will and actually you are and yet things don't show. It doesn't look like it's happening. But now with no further place for me in these regions and since I have had many years along to coming uh, to you whenever I go to Spain he had a plan he wanted to go to Spain never says that he ever made it there. For I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem. So you want to go to Spain. There was somebody else or someplace else who was going to go. He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this, and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on my way of you to Spain. I know when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So he had plans. I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there. But it's all within the realm of God's will. And there were places that he didn't make it to. Or he didn't make it to and it was later. And so he'd say, well, maybe it's not God's will. Well, maybe it is, but maybe it's just not that time yet. See, we're very impatient people. And God is very patient with time. He's not rushed at all. We are. Go to Psalms 37. Let's get a little bit of wisdom from the Old Testament then. We're getting the idea that, yeah, it's a good idea to, to plan, isn't it? Psalm 37, 3 and 4. But not always do those plans work out exactly the way that we thought. You'll know these verses. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, 
That's certainly His will. And He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He will do it. He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the new day. This is rest in the Lord. Just delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. All of a sudden, your desires that you used to have of your desires are taken out of the equation. His desires are put into you and now your desires are His desires. He'll give the desires of your heart. You commit to Him and He'll start putting desires that are His desires that are now your desires. That is being filled with God's Spirit. All Proverbs 3, 5-6. through 6. Oh man, this, this is like everybody's favorite verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Amen? Amen. <laughs> In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your paths straight. By the way, those paths sometimes go like this. But in the end, when you look back, you're going to say, well, God came along and straightened them out. But he puts crooked things in there sometimes. <laughs> you know, just throw these things in there that, whoa. But he's, he's straightening it. And, uh, of course, this is the narrow way. But financial planning, it's good stewardship. Uh, it's depending upon God. Uh, making a will. Uh, a living trust. Some savings that we have, and we want to have some savings, if possible, to cover some kind of unforeseeable future. Most often, like a car breaking down. That's where the little money that I save up winds up going, usually, because I know that down the road that I will have car troubles. Because I don't have a new car. (laughs) And if I did have a new car, a brand new car, it probably wouldn't be new too long from now, in five years. Um, but, but what happens with your house? Okay, something can happen with the house. Hopefully you'll have some money that you can draw that um, maybe your sewers have got stuck up. You know, backed up. Who knows what can you know, come down on? You know that. so that's why it's good to have a little bit of money back there if we can. Uh, that's kind of planning. It's careful planning and things that can be expected. You know. So the problem is not what was said in this passage, but it's what was not said. Today, tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city. Okay. Spend a year there. Okay. Engage in business. Make a profit. Okay. 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 They don't hear a thing about God. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it no matter what. And it's going to work out. And God is not even there. No thought of God whatsoever. That is called utter disrespect for the sovereignty of God. Absent of God. And these people will base their abilities to achieve. They've done it before. These are achievers. No reference to the frailty of man. A self-made individual, it's a sort of self-sufficient, self-important planning that can be where somebody is at church on Sunday but looks on Monday through Saturday as my days. This is God's day. These are my days. Let's keep this separate. Can't do that, can we? Uh, Alex, Alex Montier said something like that. Presumption makes plans and even predictions without the thought of God and His will in mind. This is why we put up number one, presuming upon God is what? It's foolish. Number two, Verse 14. We have a number for each verse today. That's how we broke this down. But James did it. (laughs) Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just like a vapor. Pierce a little while, vanishes away. 
That's rather humbling. You know, he's like, boy, James really, really gets to you sometimes. You know, yeah. we're just a favor. Huh? Just a favor. The future is absolutely uncertain. Nobody knows it. You don't know anything about tomorrow. Your plan is that you're going to go to work. That's a good plan. But you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's not there yet. Let alone the far out future, right? Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for you know not what a day may bring forth. You don't know the future. That's Proverbs 27 again. Uh, other translation says, what is your life? Does anybody have that in their translation? What is your life? Do you understand? You, you have that number? Is that ESV? Okay. Do you understand how complex life is? It is extremely, infinitely complex. All the different events, circumstances, people, things that are beyond our control, they, they're so variable uncontrollable is beyond any kind of aspect we can even think of. We cannot ascertain of anything of that. The design of the future, control of the future, we have nothing to do with controlling the future, do we? People do need to know some basic things. And I'm afraid most of the world has no clue of what these basic things are. You want to know what they are? You've asked them before. Where did I come from? We know that. I'm not saying that arrogantly or pridefully. I only know it because God revealed it. And, and it says it right there in Genesis. Well, you know, God created it. In Psalms, it, it talks about being fearfully and wonderfully made. God, God did not create an accident here. You know, And um, we know where we come from. Most of the world really doesn't even know that. The second question is, is, who am I? If you don't know where you came from, then how are you going to know where, who you are? What's your really? I'm trying to discover myself. You've heard of that? You don't want to discover yourself. And then the third question is, where am I going? People can go to funerals and listen to even the best sermons in those funerals about what death, what life is about, what eternal life is, the gospel clearly presented, they walk out of there and they continue to live and think the way they did before. They don't want to talk about God. They don't want to think about the future. What happens after death? Boy, whenever there's a funeral, that should make one think. Where are they going after this? whether they, they think they're a Christian or not. They should know where they're going to go, and if they don't know, somebody needs to tell them, here is what is out there. Without Christ, they're going to a far dreadful place than this. They need to know. When we know life's brevity and life's frailty, these sound like morbid, negative terms that we're talking about, doesn't it? But when we truly know that a wheel could fall off our off of our lives in the next moment, you know, my heart could stop beating in the next second. I don't know how far I'm going to go. I I tend to think, okay, I'll probably continue to go until the Lord takes me, <laughs> and it could be tomorrow. Out. Things can happen. And this sounds so much like where we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Ecclesiastes. And that's really what it gets to. He had gotten to a point where there was really no hope left. He had lost all of his wisdom that he had. And then he saw that all those missing pieces of the puzzle can only be fulfilled in God. Everything is futile. It's empty. And so many of the writers, famous people, athletes, you can, you can actually probably find out by the thousands of them, 
who either committed suicide or arrived at the end of their life in a sad, sad state with no hope. Nietzsche. He blazed out his life in his final 11 years as a madman. Why? Why? He was so clever. He was so proud. He was so unwilling to acknowledge the Word of God. And he would lambast it and make fun of it. And his life turned out futile like Solomon's did. Only thing is, there is the rest of the story with Solomon. He was a believer. But Solomon experienced everything that he possibly could have in this life. Anything that anybody would ever want to have, he had it. It was at his fingertips. We must see God orders our lives right up to this very moment right now on into the future. That's the kind of God I want. You know what? That comforts me because He does have it under control. What if He doesn't have all under control? Pretty well, but there's some contingencies. There was a false, terrible false theology came out about 15, 20 years ago. And it's been around as long as (laughs) there's been mankind. But it's saying that God is not really completely in control. There are things that we can make happen or not happen. And we make the decisions. If that be the case, we are people to be pitied. I'm so glad that God is controlling it. We have to realize that our lives are full of brevity, frailty. It's like a cloud. You see a cloud. You look it up. Beautiful blue sky. A cloud comes up. It's a pretty cloud, though. It's one of those cumulus clouds. White. Sun is just banging off of it. It's just beautiful. And you can see this figure that it has, you know, and you're watching it, seeing how cool that is. You know, you turn your head and you talk to somebody for a few moments. You look back up there. Where'd that cloud go? It's going to show that, you know. Wow. It's gone. They just move on. Don't they? they come and then they go. Uh, transient. That's, that's what a cloud is. That's what our lives are. Our lives are transient. One day our lives will be over. So we fight against the brevity of praise God. <laughs> and we know we're not being morbid when we say that. What we're saying is that, hey, we go to be with the Lord. Of course, in the meantime, we are here, and we thank the Lord for that. But, but we, we try to stay away from the thoughts of death. And I don't think people should be hammering on that all the time. I don't want to go around talking about that. Matter of fact, when I was a kid, I would avoid that however I could. I didn't even want to think about it. But it's real. It's there. It's a fact. It's, it's true. We will die. George Bernard Shaw observed this. The statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one, people die. (laughs) Death is absolutely certain. It's not probable. It is certain. It can happen at any minute. Each person will stand before God for judgment. And I would think that people who do not know Christ I'll use this as a quote, need to get right with God. Of course, He's the one that makes you right, justifies you. But strangely, people just want to put it out of mind and go about life just like they'll live forever. But without knowing God and acknowledging God? Are you kidding me? And that's where most of them are. A vapor. He says a vapor. Atmos. Probably related to atmosphere. Vapor, some kind of form like that. Your breath. You're a vapor. You're you're smoke. You you breathe on a cold day. You see that breath. It's visible and then it's gone. It's invisible. Steam. You have a boiling pot, right? Pot of water, tea kettle. And then you hear that distinct sound of that whistle that you always hear. Then you know it's ready. A vapor ascends, 
through the opening, appears, disappears. Just like that. And that's what James says. You are just a vapor. Life is short. In the light of eternity, life is like a blip. Even if it, is it even a blip across the times of eternity? Times of eternity across eternity. And one can be sitting in a chair where somebody is older or somebody a lot younger or whatever. But we're all finite people. Our days are numbered. We're told that God has our days numbered. And somebody can protest, boy, this is morbid, this is depressing. It should not be depressing. It is absolute truth and nobody can argue with it. Not even the world can argue with what we're saying. It's like, what do we do with it? And I'm not even suggesting that we obsess with these things. I don't want to go home today and somebody start calling me up and say how great death is. And start giving me a whole... You know, I don't want to talk about it that much. But, you know, it is a, it is a true thing. It is there. Uh, but we're talking about plans. We're talking about properly depending upon God. Uh, we're talking about eternal life. It is eternal. Let's see what um, the Old Testament says about this. Let's go to Job. Job 7.6. Evidently, there was a lot written about this. And if we know these kind of things, then it, I think it helps us get through life. And as Paul said, Christ is life as we are here, but there's something even better. He goes to be present with the Lord. Job 7, verse 6, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to an end without hope. I'm sure that most of you ladies have the weaver's shuttle. (laughs) Evidently, it's talking about something very, very quick. Verse 9. When a cloud vanishes, it's gone. So he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. Chapter 8, verse 9. For we are only of yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are as a shadow. 9.25. We may think we're invincible. I, I thought I was invincible whenever I was younger. It's amazing how that changes as time goes on. Verse 25. Now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They slip by like reed boats, like an eagle that swoops on its prey. Chapter 14, verse 1 and 2. Boy, Job had a lot to say about it. Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. The illustrations? Look in Psalm 90, verses 10 through 12. I think it actually gives us hope. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days. Each day is precious, folks. That's what we're really saying. Each moment is really precious. Don't live for tomorrow. Live for the moment right now that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Be thankful for the time that has been given to us. Be thankful that you are here on earth, that you were born, that you were given this. Now the Ecclesiastes writer Solomon was at the very other extent where he said it would have been better if it had not ever been born. You're more blessed if you are still born. But I'm glad that I was born. So yeah, but boy, life is sure hard sometimes. It is, but it's fleeting too. You ever notice those moments that we have trials? You ever notice how quick they are too? We don't ever hear that, do we? But they are. We're through that. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. No problem. 
We were so worried about something, you know. God got us through, didn't He? Got us through. He always does. 102, verse 11. I could probably just keep on going with it. I think this is the last song I'll do here on this. My days are like a lengthened shadow, and I'll wither away like grass. <laughs> Boy, thanks for the upbeat sermon today, Dennis. Like every week is beginning to be like this. Okay, well, let's turn to the good news. Let's turn to verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. There it is. This is the right view. This is the right perspective. God's will is central to all of our plans. Going to buy a car? He's in on that. Going to buy a house? He's in on that. Thinking about getting married? He's in on that. Part of the matter, this is what it's all about right here. Whatever God wills. He, he is willed for you to be the person you are right today. If you want to live the way that God intends, then put Him at the center of everything you do. A true believer seeks divine counsel. He wants the counsel, the will of God. Uh, he wants a heart that will obey and seek after God. It's, it's talking about submission to divine authority. Hey, I like that. You guys like that? I want to submit. I want to bow my knees to the sovereign of the universe. I'm not my self-made man. I tried all that. Didn't work. Lordship of Christ in our plans, right? If the Lord wills, that's kind of what our title is dealing with today, isn't it? We need continually to be aware of how finite we are, how our dependence is upon God who is sovereign. And His purpose permeates every aspect of our lives. Sometimes we should just say it, if the Lord wills. That is not always the case, that you have to say it and do it verbally. That's just like tacking it on. But it is a good thing because you're realizing that God's in on this. We should think it, right? Even if we don't say it. I was talking to Janice yesterday and she said, oh, she was really sorry that she couldn't be here today and tell me why. And and then she said, uh, well, anyway, we'll see you Tuesday if the Lord wills. And I go, that's exactly what the message is tomorrow. She's so really, she's, but she said that, you know, if the Lord wills. You know, yeah, that's biblical, isn't it? Uh, if the Lord wills. Look in Acts 18.21. And let's look at it, how many times this is actually said in Scripture. Do you think it's said more than once? Well, James just said it there, right? Well, let's, let's just see. Acts 18.21 But taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. He didn't know whether he's going to return there or not, but if it's God's will, he will. Romans 1.10 I like to just go through a little Bible study on this. See how often it happens. Always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. He's writing to the Romans. He really wanted to go to Rome. You know what? He did. He went in a way that he never thought. He got a free cruise. (laughs) He didn't have to pay for anything on that, as far as I know. Uh, Neither did uh, the place where he stayed at. That hole in the ground. Prison. But it was God's will. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) Interesting. Uh, Romans 15, verse 32. But he did get there. And that's where God wanted him to be. 32. So that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Oh, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 19. 1 Corinthians 4, 19.
But I will come to you soon. He's talking about the Corinthians. I'm going to be there if the Lord wills. I shall find out. Not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. If the Lord wills. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 7. Paul says it quite frequently, doesn't he? I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time. If the Lord permits. <laughs> this, is, this is the Apostle Paul. You'd think anything that he'd say, that's what it's going to turn out to be. He knows the future. And because he's saying the right thing, God's going to bless it and everything's going to turn out exactly the way that he likes. No, it didn't always happen that way for Paul. But he says, if the Lord permits, I'll do that. This is right kind of planning, isn't it? Philippians 2.19. Paul again. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Here's his plans. He's always planning, isn't he? So that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. This time he doesn't say if the Lord wills, but what does he say? But I hope in the Lord Jesus. He's always qualifying God there. If it be His will, right? One of the most basic lessons in life. God is God. I am not. God is God. I am not. He is sovereign. I am not sovereign. He controls the future. I do not control the future. Not in any way. I know that one day I can save all I want. I can do whatever I think is best to do. There will be a coming a time when I'll be too feeble to do anything that I can't possibly physically do it possibly. And you know what? There's no such thing in this world as financial security. And you could think of some of the richest people in the world. And you'd think, well, at least, you know, those people, they are so financially secure, it doesn't matter what happens. Even the richest of the rich are not. Our economy can crash in a moment's time. And it has done that. Our country could be overrun by terrorists. Don't fear about that. But we know that that is, you know, could be a reality. Our retirement investments maybe just fail entirely. Trusting in God is the only true source of security for the future. We can plan out everything that we want, be the way that it's supposed to be, that's still is not security, is it? It's always God. I'm glad He's sovereign, aren't you? It really does comfort me. really does. Verse 15 said, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this, do that. If God desires we shall live, He will continue on to keep Keeping us alive. Uh, God's will is. That's what His desire is. All people in life, whether they're Christians or not, are really under His control. They don't know it. They never acknowledge it. All events in life fall into His calendar. All circumstances fall in somehow within His plan. I'm saying He doesn't have sin in His plans. You say, what about that? But still yet, He is there. This we can take comfort in. Sovereign God. We go fourthly to verse 16. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Practical atheists you ever heard of practical atheists? They're the ones who say they believe in God. They acknowledge Him. They even know that He has a purpose and He has a will. 
that He's sovereign, but they defy that. They deny it in practice. In, in their own they're not practical atheist only, but they're also self-theist because they make themselves to be God. It says here, you boast in your arrogance. The word there, boast, is kauchamai, and it means to speak loud. It's loud-mouthing about your own accomplishments. Right? And then he has the word arrogance, alazone, and it means arrogance or empty pretense. Something that's empty. These people stand up and boast. They open their mouth. They brag pretentiously. And really, there isn't anything there. It's all fluff. It's a pretentious self-glory. A brash bragging about, about themselves, which is absolutely untrue. Napoleon Bonaparte, a military genius. People still know of his name today. You know what led to his downfall? Pride. He was about to invade Russia. But a friend tried to dissuade him from invading Russia. And it really became apparent that Napoleon was going to do what he wanted to do. And he was not going to be budged. He's, going to, he's a self-made man. He's the best man in the world. The friend shared a real familiar proverb that he should have known. It's this. And this is not necessarily out of Proverbs, but it could be. Man proposes, God disposes. Napoleon, Napoleon then snapped back and, and he said, I dispose as well as propose. I dispose, right? A Christian who heard that remark said, I set that down as the turning point of Bonaparte's uh, fortunes, his future that he had. And we know what happened to that. Uh, he invaded Russia and that was definitely the beginning of his downfall. Things have been going so good. You know what? The writer James says this is evil. This kind of arrogant speaking is evil. The act of thinking and planning without adequately being dependent upon God. That's boasting. It's evil. By the way, poneros is the word. It's a title for Satan, actually. Evil. That's how bad it is when we presume upon God. Brings it to that point. It's evil. Of course, in the next verse 17, he's, he's really going to say it's, this is sin. <laughs> so he starts off with this word, and it's almost like different. He's been talking about God's will and you know, make sure that you, you bring His uh, name up in, in all the things that you do, and giving Him credit and glory in all things. He says, therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him it's sin. Where did that come from? What qualifies this whole statement? What's the first word? Therefore. What does therefore mean? Do what has just been said. It's all over the New Testament, isn't it? Therefore. Nike, just do it. You see that? <laughs> just do it. At first glance, it sure seems like there's no connection here. Douglas Moo, who wrote a commentary on James, says, He has urged us to take the Lord into consideration in all our planning. We therefore have no excuse in this matter. We know what we are to do. To fail now to do it, James wants to make clear, is sin. You know, it could be the whole book what he's writing up, but I think basically where we've just been at in that little section. He says, you know what to do. You know, when it comes to making plans... Simply have God before you in everything. Uh, The sin of disobeying God's will. To one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Um, It's almost like right there is a sin of what? Omission? I didn't do what I was supposed to do. But it also reverts to a sin of commission. To commit. There's a person, he knows there's a God, he affirms there's a God, he knows God has a will, God's will is supreme, 
But yet, what does he do? He disobeys it. And he's saying, that's a sin. Actually, that's a sin of omission. But it's a sin of commission also. We want to have um, our lives right. We want to have a ministry mindset. Everything that we do, even in our jobs, look at it as an opportunity to ultimately show the glory of God in your life, your actions, your thoughts, your words. Bring the gospel to Him by your life. Maybe saying something would be a great opportunity that would arise. That's ministry. Every one of us have a, has a lot of ministry. Praying for others and edifying others, bringing the gospel to the lost. Don't forget that. And, and while we're doing it, remember, this is, this is God's will. God's will is that He wants us to be saved. Right? God's will is that He wants us to be sanctified. And in fact, there's a verse in there that says He, he wants us to be suffering. He wants us to be... Um, there's a lot of S words that I used to know and uh, they're kind of escaping me. But that's just an everyday, ongoing life that seems so simple. That's what the Christian life is about, isn't it? Being filled with God's Spirit. Same thing as doing God's will and knowing that He is the one empowering us to do that and to, to have that ministry mindset. So what do we say about application here as we close up? None of us knows what uh, tomorrow is going to bring. We don't, do we? We don't know what the Lord has planned for tomorrow. We, we know that God has foreordained things to come to pass. And we submit our plans that we have and we submit them to Him and however they fall in like saying, if the Lord wills. Say, well, I think this is right to do. And if the Lord is willing, He will certainly bring it about. There can be a future uncertainty that pops up in our minds. You watch the news, and boy, they have nothing but bad news there on the TV. And I know this is election year coming up. This almost sounds like Ecclesiastes 8. Because in Ecclesiastes 8, it's really about the political realm. And we want a righteous man to be leading this nation. Be praying for that, right? That's what we want. We did. Why? Because God puts that desire in us. But as it happened throughout the course of history of mankind, have most of the leaders in the world been Christians or believers? What do you do in that sense? What did, what did Solomon know when he wrote Ecclesiastes 8? Just want to get you thinking a little bit. Read it. Come to the Bible study on Tuesday and we'll see how that applies. We'll start at the end of 7 and go into 8. Even when we have the great leaders, we're still realizing that God has this under control. Thank you, God, for doing that. But it's so human to think when we have a terrible leader and leaders, we tend to think that well, we don't say God has us under control. Or do we? We should. Was He surprised? So it really helps us explain what's going on in the light of what's happening in our time. We've had it really good. We've been blessed. What is the next uh, year going to bring? What's going to happen with the elections? What's going to go on? What's going to happen after that? We can see doom and gloom. Or we could see a turning around. What's God's will there? We don't know. We really don't know. All we know is do what you know to be right. Let Him take it in His own hands. And when things work out, you can say, Thank you, Lord. 
And when they don't work out the way that we desired and we wanted, we can say, Lord, Your will is being done. And I know you're going to you're planning it out, and you planned it out. You're going to do what you're going to do. And so we're prepared either way. We don't lose, but we sure want to be praying for these men, these godly men that that can be there. There aren't many, but it can be done. In the meantime, God wins. And that is my application for that. We can have confidence with the faith that we have because God wins every time. Amen? Lord, thank You for Your Word. It is truth. Sometimes as hard as hitting as it is, it can rip us apart. Your Word says that it does do that. But You always give the balm for the healing. The healing in Gilead. And Lord, thank You because You're just wanting to make us be like Christ. Help us to say like He said, the Father wills. Whatever the Father wills. In Jesus' name, Amen.